Hey, welcome back to Blessed Child. We have come so far in these podcasts. I know I have. So I am so excited to invite a new guest, Kathleen Bell, who I've connected with by showing my vulnerability on talking about the church. She has approached me as this very supportive person, and I am so honored to share her wisdom on this podcast. She exudes just so much, so much compassion. And so without further ado, here is Kathleen. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Renee. Can I tell you something about myself? I will try. Okay. How do I tell this in a succinct manner? So um, who am I? It's a deceptively simple question, isn't it? Um, so I'm originally from the U.S. I was from the from New Jersey community, northern New Jersey. And about nine, ten years ago, I made the move over to Europe. So I'm currently in Switzerland in the French-speaking region. And I'm a mom. I have two amazing little boys. Uh, and I was blessed back in 2007, uh, that is no longer in the picture for me or, or, or the way we, we, the way we live that now is as co-parents. And I, yeah, I began my journey with deconstruction, I'd say about three years ago or like consciously three years ago, probably a lot longer than that. And, um, it's been a hell of a ride and in the process, I, really learned how to kind of decide what I want to take with me going forward and what I want to leave behind. And and what's cool is that in making those decisions, I was also able to kind of decide what I want my life to look like now, professionally, personally, like all of the above. And so what that looks like for me is I work in the nonprofit sector. I help refugees to start their own businesses and kind of challenge the stereotypes in the local world of work uh, about who refugees and migrants really are and how much they bring to the table, challenging a lot of the stereotypes. It's beautiful work. I love it. And I get to tell stories about incredible humans all day long. And yeah, I'm really happy. That is, that is so powerful, your journey. I mean, I have so many questions. First of all, I'm very impressed that you as a, are you an immigrant? What do you call yourself as a migrant from America into Europe? Yeah, well, the, the, um, in, in terms of the research, the, the most appropriate term is migrant. Like, a yeah, migrant. people will, will play with different verbs, like with different, different vocabulary, like expat, um, migrant. There's some people like to use expat because it feels more sophisticated but actually most most expats are actually migrants and so I've learned to own that word and to to yeah to celebrate that word to celebrate that identity it's been a wonderful process of challenging my own the stereotypes that I grew up with and and now being on the other side of things realizing wow I I I didn't realize how unkind I was to other people in my head. And it's nice to, 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 to learn to question myself and to learn to say, okay, 
not going to do that anymore. Yeah, I, I want to dive into that. I feel like your journey has taught you so much. And, and I'm just an American citizen who lived in Korea for two years. So you've actually went to Switzerland, learned, you learned another language, had children in another, another country. Yes. Um, you're asking kind of like, how did it go with learning the language as well as like becoming a parent? And then also on top of that, you're an advocate for other migrants to start their own businesses and be financially like this whole, your whole backstory is fascinating. Yeah, I, I guess so. And, but I will say that it's um, all of that actually was in response to life being complicated. And I think it, it all goes back at the end of the day to what we were born into and how we were raised. So for me, like the, the international piece, yeah, I mean, that goes right back to our origin story, right? You know, we were from, from day one, we were taught, okay, it's our job to save the world. No pressure. <laughs> it's our job to be special, to, to be like super talented. Again, no pressure. And to, and it was our job as blessed children to overlook difference in favor of being united. And yet all the undercurrents underneath that were all like, but actually Korea is better than everyone else. Oh. And actually, you know, the, it, it, it all, it was all flowing under the surface. We like on the, on the surface, the veneer, right. The yes. veneer was world peace and ideal families and you know, we, we are so, we are colorblind and we are, we, we know that if we all work together, we will have peace and harmony. But I mean, if you scratch that veneer a little bit, you, you'll see something different. Yeah, And, and I, mean, I think there are enough yeah. testimonies to, to, to speak to that, that there, that a lot of it was, well, the idealism was there uh, and, and it was present in the rhetoric in actuality, yeah, things, Reverend Moon's actions told a different story. They, um, they said, you know, world peace and united families, but um, Korea first. If we unite the heavenly land of Korea, then the rest will come. So everybody focus on Korea for the next 60 years. But the strange thing about that is that Reverend Moon owns mm. land in North Korea. He has factories in North Korea. He went to one of the president's funerals or something like that. There's so many ties with North Korea. Yeah. So it, it, it posits the question, is that just another bait and switch? The luring of world peace in Korea, the Korean continents, even though they're already profiting on the disunity of it. Obviously there's, there's Mooney companies in North Korea. They're, they're profiting on the slavery of the division. I'm just positive. I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing out a theory. Yeah, no. And to me, that's a hundred percent. Yes. I, I think, I mean, I think the, the, the story that our parents were sold in joining this community was very much that because you're not going to get people to join based on here, help us make this one person rich. Right. And you're it's not, obvious. you're not, you need, so I, I come from a communications background and communications is all about how you take information and share it in a digestible, manageable, and ultimately compelling way for people. And the more and more I understand 
the story at lot, like the, the full story of the Unification Church and all of its complexities, I can only imagine the kind of PR uh, storytelling that that went that took place consciously and unconsciously or subconsciously to market and convince people, compel people, inspire people to take action to to join this. You know, people were sold a dream. And it's a really compelling one. And I mean, that dream got repurposed over and over again and ultimately became the thing that it was a dream that I bought, you know, when I chose to go to the blessing, I bought it when I intentionally chose to not really pick a career path for myself until I knew who I was going to be matched to. So I could create something complimentary. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just one example. There are, I mean, but there are so, so, so many examples of, of living in a manner which was convenient to the cult. I'm shocked. I mean, I'm speechless because what you just said, I I saw that in my life too. I saw that in so many, I saw that in so many. We were complimentary. We saved who we were. Our identity wasn't formed until we knew who we were going to be married to so we could compliment them and be molded. Because isn't, Exactly, because isn't that how world peace works? Because that's what we were taught. We were taught that to achieve peace, we had to be compliant. Yeah, I think they're still spouting that as global interdependence and unity. The first chapter of Global Peace Loving Citizen is like all com- all countries, and this is some selling a dream, all countries will be will be connected through roads. We're going to build a road over the Bering Strait and we're going to build an underground road from Japan and Korea. You'll be able to drive from Rome to the the tip of Florida or the Panama Canal. And I was like, yeah, what a crazy fucking dream. Like why build roads? We have airplanes and boats. And plus there's ice sheets in the Bering Strait. Like nobody wants to drive through Alaska. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want, if you want to have a planet to drive on, don't build a road on the polar ice caps, right? <laughs> like these are quite simple concepts. Yeah. Anyway, um, dreams. But they yeah, all these, all these, all these th- thinly veneered dreams that were spun and woven and and turned into these things that people believed. And for our generation born in, I mean, we had no choice but to believe, at least at first, right? And when your sense of belonging, when your sense of feeling loved and safe and secure depends upon believing those stories, well, I mean, I think you'll do what it takes. And so I was born just to kind of think of it, of my story a bit more more in, in a linear fashion. So my mom was a migrant from France to America. My dad was American. And um, my dad passed away when I was really little. He, um, he actually began his journey of deconstruction really early, like before I was born. Um, and he just got more and more jaded and also like more and more alarmed at what he saw. 
And um, I actually have this postcard that he, so like my mom was die hard into the church and my dad was working in California. Like they were kind of separated for a while, but they never divorced. It was kind of unclear for a bit, but I, over time I've gotten, I've dug into my dad's correspondence with my mom and I can see that like they basically decided to, to break the blessing And, um, I have this postcard from my dad to my mom and it was, he wrote, I would really love to try again with you and the kids, but I could only do it outside of the church. And so like, I know, I know what my mom chose, obviously, and also to contextualize my brother's special needs, um, which was tough on my, on my dad. You can, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation in itself. Our parents were promised like these perfect kids, and then here comes someone who doesn't fit the mold of what we believe perfect should be. Um, and I think that was really hard. So it was like one hard thing after another. And for my mom, what she did to cope was like to cling to this dream and this story that she believed with all her heart. And for my dad, who was in journalism and was pursuing law, that meant something different to him. And for him, it was like, dude, this is not safe. This is not okay. And he was starting to see all the, the lines, you know, that you, that we discuss on the podcast. Um, all these conversations that you're having are things that my dad was thinking about back in the late eighties and early nineties. And he couldn't, he couldn't make it work with my mom. And he was like really struggling because of the process that we've now been on. And he was really struggling to, to, rebuild his life. And unfortunately he couldn't, he couldn't, he psychologically couldn't do it. And so he took his own life in 1991 at the age of 41 because he couldn't, he, it was, it was too much. And it's heartbreaking to read his letters and to see how hard he tried, not only to like, to try and like show my mom like, please wake up. Um, but the dream was too, it was too strong. You know, it was too compelling. And, and I think for other reasons, like it's, I don't think, I don't believe any of these stories is so black and white. I think there's a lot of, of, of shades of gray in between. And so like, I don't know what kind of a dad, a person my dad was. I don't think he was the perfect guy. Um, and I don't think my mom was perfect either. Like they all came with their nuances, but bottom line, like my dad clearly wanted out and my mom clearly felt like the safest place to be was in. Um, and it created this really, really ter- awful situation. But so my dad, yeah, was just like trying so hard to wake her up, but also like he'd write letters to politicians and to journalists and to like anyone he could, he was trying, he was like banging on the doors of these different people trying to like, basically trying to say like, dude, Reverend Moon is not safe. Um, And because he couldn't make any headway, I think eventually it just became too much for him. So that is how his story ends but where my mom's story continued was that I mean so what did that story look like for her it looked like you know she was 
um, a lot of challenging ancestors and, and difficult spirit world um, put her in this incredibly challenging situation and that my brother had to bear the burdens of, you know, past wrongdoings, but that my mom in, in shouldering all of these burdens, well, she just became more and more like treated like a saint in the church, which to be fair, she kind of was because it's really hard to parent a special needs kid and another kid by yourself. Um, she also went to Chungkyung and received very, like very clearly apparently from Damonim that, um, that my dad still wanted to be with her. And so she decided to never get reblessed. Oh. Um, and so like, there's that whole piece too, of like, I am just going to do the right thing, even if it comes at a cost to me. And so she, in thinking about her, I kind of coined this term, the way I, the way I, I name it to make sense of it for myself is called noble suffering. I just see so many first gen, especially women, just like putting themselves in these really difficult, really sacrificial situations, but it's, it's glorified. I mean, even right down to the lyrics of the songs that we'd sing, because it's what we believed Reverend Moon was doing, which, you know, we all know he wasn't at the end of the day. And so she played the part so well, you know, she played the ingenue so well. And, and I mean, not to say that she was dumb or naive. We know, we know that no one here is an idiot. They're smart, idealistic, just really, really idealistic people. Yeah. Um, and she believed it till her dying breath because she died now 10 years ago uh, from lung cancer. She took care of everybody else uh, incredibly, beautifully, sacrificially, except for herself. And that was really challenging for her to do. Um, there was a point in time where my brother who has Down syndrome, um, he also had cancer. And for a moment, they were both going through chemo at the same time. Um, so like to parent through that, I can only imagine how challenging that was. I mean, well, I was there. <laughs> um, so I was like the only person in the family who were not going through chemo. And like what that taught me from a young, from a young age, and honestly, to an extent, I feel like maybe even before I was born, I think I was really I think I was sent the message from a very early age to follow my mom's path of like the noble suffering of like being the good girl, the ingenue, um, like the pretty princess who like, do you remember the, 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 um, the story of Shimjung, the oh, Korean folktale? It's, um, oh. it's this like Korean folktale that I remember hearing a lot. And there was a ballet that the, the, um, Whatever the, the church, the maybe not the little angels, maybe like the the Kirov. the adults, maybe the Kirov, um, or maybe the ballet company in Korea. I'm not sure which one, but they would do this. They would tell this um, this folk tale about this this young woman who had a father who um, became blind. And without going into the details, because I'll probably mess them up, she ends up making like sacrifice after sacrifice and putting herself in all these, th these different situations where she basically has to satisfy these conditions 
put on her by other people to basically save her father and save the kingdom. And, and, and Disgusting. she becomes right. She be, and so that noble suffering just gets glorified over and over again to the point that you had Misak Mendonca on, um, on one of your previous episodes, she and I were in a theater company together when we were kids. Um, oh my gosh. And we made, I don't know if she was in that production, but I was there for like years. And we actually made like our own like kids production of this folktale. And I was the kid, you know, like the oh no. sacrificial princess, because like, that's what, that's what we were trained to do. You know, you were talking power dynamics in in your previous episodes. I think that was that's a definitely part of the dynamic is like being trained to suffer, but to see it as this incredibly noble act. And so my mom definitely did that and was incredibly beloved for it. Um, in many ways, right? Like justify, like I she sh- I don't think it should have gone any other way. Like she was an amazing human. Um, it just came at a really high price for herself. And so like, I was also taught, you know, as a special needs sibling, you, you kind of can't avoid needing to be really patient. Um, but in being born in the church, it also came with this really high pressure of like, well, okay, your brother can't realize all of the goals that most species have, but you, you are going to be able to do all the things. Um, and that was a lot of pressure to grow up with. And as you know, there wasn't a lot of space to just be a kid. I have a question. I vaguely remember them having a special needs pool matching where yeah. they would put, and this is, I mean, this is wrong because there's already a small pool of people. So now they're, they're matching special needs people together. Um, against their will yeah. against their will there's no consent there's no consent is I mean did, can you speak on I that can, at all yeah I can speak a little bit on it I actually know personally the first family in the church that ever did the matching and so um they are they're really sweet humans I'll be honest they're they are they are good like people who really want to do good I can tell you in that first case I would say that there was a certain degree of consent that these two are really sweet together. They're happy um, and they are pursuing like a, a relationship. But the thing about special needs people is that every case is unique um, and every person's ability to express consent or to retract consent or any of those things, it's very much case by case. However, So when my mom passed away 10 years ago, I became my brother's legal guardian and I got a lot of, my mom really dreamed about matching him. We tried a couple of times and at one point, um, well, hold on, I'm trying to think like (laughs) how to, how to explain everything. The matching was super important to her. I'm going to get back to that. But more recently I did get a lot of pressure to like match my brother. And I asked some caseworkers, you know, who, who are handling his case and handling where he lives, who takes care of him because I physically cannot do that. Um, since I live across the ocean 
And I asked her, I was like, you know, I get all, I have all these people who are still in the church that my mom, that I was raised in saying that they want to like do this arranged marriage for my brother. I'm not really sure, do you, you know, how to handle these situations. Do you have any advice for me? And she stated unequivocally, she's like, I have never dealt with a situation like this before, but I can tell you without question that to, uh, to do an arranged marriage for a special needs child is illegal. Wow. Because they, yeah, be, uh, unless there's an explicit expression of consent. So what does that mean for those who are currently still in the church and currently still practicing this? I don't know. I, it, but I'm concerned. And it was definitely, I, I don't know. I don't know how much it's being practiced right now, but I do know what I, I, I choose to focus on what I can control. And for the, for the time being, all that I can control is the well being of my brother. And so for me, that was, I just, I mean, my gut told me all I needed to know, frankly, which is that I don't want this for him. So I was able to let people know that, no, we're not going to do this. And um, thankfully that boundary has been respected because people have, have no legal recourse, but I know the practice is still very much alive. And I can tell you that my mom actually wanted to go one step farther and because so my brother, he was like the only male heir and right. Mm-hmm. You and I both know about that oh, whole, the mm-hmm. patriarchal. So my mom asked actually my then husband and I, if we would be open to conceiving a child for my brother. Yes. I, I knew this was going there. This and is So it would be like the offering child situation. Have you covered offering children in previous no, episodes? I'm, no, no. I mean, just vaguely, but there's so much to talk about and that Mm-hmm. And this dynamic that you're painting, I'm just so glad you're advocating for special needs that can't advocate for themselves. This is completely illegal. You cannot make these decisions for people. Thank you for bringing this onto this podcast. This is such an important topic. I have seen them plaster special needs blessings on the blessing workshop pages. I have seen them use this as something beautiful and glorious. And we'll hook, you know, we'll marriage, we'll make, we'll arrange marriage. These special, it's such a beautiful thing, but it's not okay and it's not legal. So thank you for putting that voice on this podcast. You can. I am feeling so strongly about this. So thank you so much for talking about yeah. this. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I, it's, it's a tricky thing because I have no interest in vilifying people who the, the people who do this because of what we were talking about earlier, because of narrative and because of the dreams that have been sold and because of the hearts that have been bought right into this system. I know the people who do this. I helped organize uh, a special needs camp, you know, for our blessed families and, and organized like all these volunteers who just like became friends with these kids. In some cases, their first friends. And it was a beautiful thing. And so I don't want to discount the good that took place, but I think it's really important to flag what's not okay. And that right there, this practice of arranging people, of deciding their futures without their consent, that ain't okay. And I, I, yeah, so I'm glad to be talking about it. And yeah, to be arranging, but then also this ask. So the concept of offering children is is riddled with with things that aren't okay. And I know you some even some of the people you've had guested on your podcast have lived that themselves. Um, so I, I, that's not been the case for me. 
that ended up never happening. And I'm really glad that it didn't, but yeah, the pressure was put on me to, to continue the lineage on my brother's behalf. But like, just imagine what that would have been like for that kid. First of all, wait, why don't you want me? But you're still like, I'm this person's kid, but you're raising me. What? There's no advocacy for that child. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's a world of chaos and confusion. And you can't make sense of that. You can't make sense of, you can't make sense of that, that reality. And you had that pressure. And yet, and yet the story, the story always seemed to have an answer, even if it was a really thin, really flimsy answer. The answer was, okay, maybe this, for, for example, the answer that might've been given in that case would be, oh yeah, it would be hard, but the, but the long-term benefit, the, the, for the rest of your spiritual life, everything will, it'll all be worth it in the end, right? I mean, the fact that even houses are being sold to people in the spirit world, right? It all comes back to the same thing of like, suffer here and now for other people's benefit the other meaning the world of course but if the but in reality being one very specific group of people with this promise of a happy forever that we were trained to believe and so you can you can justify just about anything with that logic now we are talking about a cult and cults do things for benefit. My other question is what do they gain by arranged marriages within the special needs community? Is it a way to, to pair them up so they don't take accountability? Or is it a way to, do they gain money from matching and arranged, arranging them? Is there some type of payout? There has to be, it's a cult. So we're gonna dig a little bit deeper. Somebody always benefits from these choices, or it's just a power play. And I don't know if you've ever thought about these things, but I'm, I'm thinking about these things because it's the only way I can frame it. Why would you do this? And maybe I'm just exhausting myself because sometimes there is no logic and there is no answers. And some people just want to push the boundaries of what they can make other people do. And that's in and of itself, their reward, which could be also the other answer within this cult. But those are just some of the questions I ask myself. Why? Who benefits? Who benefits from this needless? Well, to know the answer in its full sense, I think would depend upon knowing exactly how the practice originated. And I can't say that I do. I like that's not research that I've come with to our call today. But I think the winner is the narrative the system itself, because if you can keep your narrative strong, then you keep the bonds, right? It's kind of like putting a special coating on the metal of the chains that are, you know, the handcuffs that hold people. Well, if this is strong, well, then people are, are going to have a harder time breaking free. Um, I think the fact that first gen were promised perfect children and that Come and most people coming in with a very specific idea of what perfect meant, and then finding that picture challenged for and for some people that looked like 
a special needs child for others that might look like a child who struggles with something or who questions a lot um or a regular child right right um and and special needs kids you could argue they are regular children right they are regular they they, this is part of the world we live in this is part of the life that we live is these kinds of situations and they are vast and they are varied but what i do think happened in the church is that probably a lot of people said but this isn't what you promised. I gave so much and this isn't what you promised. Or how could this be? How, how does this make, how can I make this make sense? And so I think the practice helped people to make sense of what happened by saying that, that these are children who are, so this, the narrative continued to be written and these became people who are shouldering, shouldering like tremendous burden because of course, remember how however Moon would work. If something went wrong, it was the member's fault. Yeah, I do remember this. Usually but, uh, in the form of their ancestors. I to to just put a put a picture in there, I saw a special needs child. When I was in GOP for two years, mm-hmm. I saw a special needs child my same age living in Champion because they said, and now he's special needs. It doesn't need to be living in a violent, abusive camp internment camp but they he he started living there my first year he was still there my second year living in korea living in champion specifically going to ansu every day for a year this kid that can't advocate for himself being physically beaten because they believe the narrative that he was riddled with evil spirits and the harder you beat his head the smarter he was getting um the first year he couldn't talk the second year he became slightly verbal so that was enough confirmation that Ansu was working. And I don't know whatever happened to him. But I think that you answered that question. It was a very difficult, very difficult question. And you answered that question in the best way. I mean, that was very well put. I think that's exactly what happened. And yeah, I see I think, I've seen it. Yeah, I feel like so many aspects of the church what, what kept it going is down to narrative. It's down to storytelling. This is some, I, it's something that I, storytelling is what I do. And so I'm very, uh, you know, I'm not a scientist, I'm not an engineer. And so the, the, the nuts and bolts of how the church worked or the facts or the figures or the historical components, those are not the places where I'm going to like my, my bells don't go off in those places. Other people for other people, they do where my brain lights up is where story is involved. And so for me, it's kind of, I can't see it any other way. Although I recognize that someone else might see it differently. Um, I think that stories are very, are, are an, an integral tool of how we make sense of our lives. I mean, religion is a story you could say, right? And, yes. and, it's, and it's a story that was created to help us make sense of a world that in many cases, like doesn't make sense. Right. So, and so, yeah, I believe that that's what took place in, in, with special needs. And, and that, and that, that story could kind of become whatever a family needed it to be. And, and so for those who chose to practice the arranged marriages or in my mom's case, even exploring and offering child for my brother, it was like, oh, this is how we're going to get our happily ever after. And it just makes the belief stronger. Wow. I am learning so many things from you about 
first of all, you're you're a very powerful wizard with words. <laughs> that is that is true magic. Yeah, that is true magic. There is magic in words, and it can be used for controlling people or to help them grow and um, understand the situation. And I'm so glad to have you on this podcast because I mean, you speak so eloquently. It's so, it's so easy to under, you have the magic power to take a very complex situation that lives under the surface of the veneer that you, you can't really understand. And you have a way of unraveling that and making it make sense. And that is a gift. Oh my God. Thank you so much. That's, that's really, really kind. And it means a lot to me. And it's something that I, you're, I I've gotten feedback like that before. And every single time I get it, I, I, I take it really seriously. So to give a parallel story, like my kid, my, my nine-year-old just started getting into Harry Potter and we're reading it aloud and it's so nice. And it's, but it's super cool to explore these themes of like good and evil and, and eventually we'll get into the the gray space in between that. But like, to me, storytelling is, it is a magic power, like you said, and it's one that can be used for good or for evil. We've seen, and we've been discussing how it's been used in a really destructive way that benefited a too small group it, it could have been, if, yeah, well, anyway. Um, and so doing what I do, I, I tend, I actually have this like really, really deep fear of becoming like, what did I, the other day I was writing about this because someone asked me to, to imagine what like my deepest fear of who I might become, what would she look like? And for me, I called her the PR our snake, which is basically someone who takes a story and like twists it any way you want it and like sticks some poison inside, but like serves it up in this like way that you can't tell if you're safe or not. And so like, for me, that is my worst nightmare. I, I am going to, I spend every day doing everything in my power to not be that woman to not be that person because it's that kind of storytelling that got us that, I mean, that got our parents like lured into this bullshit and that they ultimately raised us in. And I don't want to contribute to that. Not in the church, not anywhere else, because it doesn't, as you and I know, it does not exist exclusively in the unification church. It's all over the place. It's in MLMs. It's in some NGOs, like the nonprofit sectors, you know, you got to be careful to, to make sure that you're really doing good. Um, our world is complicated. And so I really, when you say things like, you know, you're, the way you communicate is a superpower. I'm like, yeah. And I really hope I don't, I, I don't ever end up using it as a dark art, but like, that's where accountability comes into play. We're like, we, you know, you surround yourself with good people who will call you out on your bullshit and if you make a mistake, if you're able to say sorry and to learn from it and to admit it, then you're probably in a, you're probably on the right track. And so like, so far, so good. Yeah. I'm so open to that. And I, I, I want to call that the, uh, the, the checkpoints that in our lives, mm-hmm. we always evolve. Something that I say on this podcast might be, not be true in, you know, further down the road. And I would love to be able to 
take accountability for that. Be like, I know I said this, you know, one time, but I've grown and I've seen new things and I've reframed and relearned. But the fact that that's a fear for you, that's a fear for you. Your your superpower. You have a superpower, and that is a fear for you. I want you to take a second to acknowledge that if it's a fear, then it's extremely powerful, and that you your voice is extremely powerful. Um, and I hope one day you can take and reframe it because I know you've seen the evil done with the superpower you have, but that wasn't you. That was outside of you. And I hope one day you can remove that fear from your own power because you didn't do what you saw and that's not you. But <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it too is like the vestiges of that good and evil d- dichotomy that we were raised with. It's like either you're doing God's will or you're doing Satan's will. Like you're being, right. in, you know, and and that whole like no pressure thing from earlier of, you know, you've got to be perfect. No pressure. Yeah, it's. I think a lot of the the old remnants of that are still there. So like it's so. The affirmation you've just given me is like. It's so, it's super healing. It's super healing. Because we, I mean, we all have something like we all have one of those, whether we've noticed it or not. And um, it can be really scary to figure out what it is. And then to be brave, like, and then, like you said, being brave enough to use it and to trust that we're, that we can, that we can use it well. Even if we make mistakes along the way, we can use it for something good. Yeah. That's what I try to do. Oh, <laughs> this is so nice. Oh, my God. oh it's so nice. This, this it is, active, is. Yeah. This is, is active reframing. This is taking back our power. Yeah. That's, that to me is the beauty of deconstruction. And then the reconstruction that comes after that is like, okay, so we're tearing down all this stuff that we've realized is toxic and that's not, it's, it, that was really hurting. It's like realizing you have asbestos in the walls, right? And you're like, this, this thing's got to go down. Got to go like extreme makeover home edition on this place and just like, boom, <laughs> tear it down. And then you're left with this space of like, oh my God, what do I do now? And that's, I love how, how podcasts like this help us to kind of, decide where do we go from here by making sense of our past it gives us the more headspace to think about what we want our futures to look like and it's it's just a really cool journey to be on infinite possibilities when you take away the small walls that we were born into infinite possibilities yeah. small and toxic yeah the asbestos box <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, it kind of reminds me of um, maybe we can do a part two sometime, but just to maybe close out how I feel like what for me, what this whole process has felt like. I recently came up with this. Um, I was working on this essay and this analogy came on super strong. And to me, it kind of the narrative, it sort of boils into this thing. I imagine like, I feel like I grew up, like I was born into, you know, like hot dog eating contests, 
where everyone's yes. sitting at a table and everyone's goal is to just like eat, 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 eat. Ew. Or like, or like those restaurants where they have those like giant burgers. And if you eat one, you get your picture on the wall. Yeah. And a free shirt. Right? And a free shirt. Right. So it's the, it's usually, it's usually a little bit on the tacky side. Right. Um, so I imagine I, I, I had this vision in my head where it's like, okay, being a, being born a BC, a blessed child is kind of like being born into like a kimchi and rice eating contest. And you just have to keep eating, keep shoving the stuff down your throat, even though your stomach is burning, even though you're in so much pain, you've been told that it's all about finishing, which we never really knew what it was. Right. And getting your t-shirt, right. Getting your t-shirt and getting your picture on the wall. And, um, something I'd love to get into in another time is that I experienced cult hopping. I went after leaving the UC, I thought I found my answer in something else, which ended up being also problematic. And I couldn't see it at first. And so for me, it's like, it's like being born into this hot, this you know, kimchi and rice eating contests and realizing that something didn't feel right. And then smelling something else, let's say like chicken and biscuits, like something that's just a bit different. And then going over and being welcomed by this like wonderful other eating contest and getting a chair and everyone saying, come on, Kathleen, you can do it. And then just like learning to just scarf down chicken and biscuits or like hot dogs or watermelon or whatever. It doesn't matter, but like, it felt different. It was a different food. So it felt different from the kimchi and rice eating contest, but it, it took me some time and it took mistakes to realize that the problem wasn't the, what I was eating. The problem was how I was eating it. And so it took like when I could finally extricate myself from the second cult experience and start living life, I realized that life isn't supposed to be any sort of stupid fucking food eating contest. It's not a contest. It's a buffet. It's a buffet. And so what I realized is like life is get life is really supposed to be this buffet table and you get to walk around at your pace and you get to try a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And maybe you like it and maybe you don't, and you decide what you want to take more of or don't. And you listen to your body and you enjoy yourself. Wow. And I realized that like, I'm actually kind of happy to eat a little bit of kimchi and rice from time to time, because there are a couple things from the church that I'm okay with keeping inside me, you know, like my idealism, I I've toned it down a bit, but it's still there. Um, and it's what makes me good at my job. And it's what makes, it's part of why the people who love me, love me, you know, that it, what makes what I was, that's still there. And I've chosen to keep that. And like, same from the second cult, which we can get into is a cult called real love. It's a, a yuck. It was rough, but, um, we can get, we can touch on that another time, but, um, there are things from there that were like incredibly, incredibly toxic, the most, the bulk of it, but there were pieces that I take with me to this day about how I choose to love the people in my life. And it's like, 
I'm realizing that everything I do and every place I go is going to have something that I can, well, the things that I, that I, I hold in being that in that experience, I can choose to keep, or I can choose to walk away from. Hopefully I'll choose to walk away from all the toxic stuff. Hopefully I'll, I'll get the warning signs in my body. I've learned my lesson now. Um, I'll probably still keep making mistakes. That's okay. You know, it's like when you get a, a fishbone in your mouth and you got to spit it out, like it's, it's okay. I've learned to be okay with that. But like, yeah, I feel like that's the journey of, of extricating yourself from the toxic aspects of the narrative, but you don't have to throw the whole thing away. And so, yeah, it's being, being a special needs sibling, for example, um, has taught me to be patient. Um, but what did I throw away? I threw away the piece about me needing to bear a child for my brother. No, thanks. Um, yeah, I think everything when examined carefully and with curiosity is going to show us things to keep and things to, to throw away. Wow. Yeah. I love that Kathleen. That is amazing. I feel like how that applies to the unification church is you know, mm. I threw it all away for a second and then to p- decided to pick up on the connection again with all these international people of mixed right? races. Yeah. Right. You're, it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you with the deconstruction. I also felt like this ache for belonging and for like what, uh, what religious communities would call fellowship. And I love how we're living in a moment where we can experience that without the herd minds, the herd mentality, yeah. we can just be whoever we are with each other. This is the part I'm keeping from the Unification Church is being able to connect with my fellow second generation adult members and creating this powerful community. That is what I'm choosing to keep. I am keeping that from the Unification Church. I have never framed it that way. And I thank you for putting that. That is okay to take a little bit from each, like a buffet. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We, it does, it doesn't condone. It doesn't condone the system. It doesn't say like, Oh yeah, it's great. You should try it out. No, um, please don't. (laughs) But but I think it's important in our own. I personally believe like it's really important in our journey of deconstruction to decide, you know, to not throw out everything but there's space for you to keep what, what helped make you who you are, because you, I, all of us, we are beautiful people. And what made that, it was a lot of different little, like a million different little things. And yeah, we don't need to throw away who we are because yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty awesome. This is going to be one of the most uplifting podcasts on episodes on my podcast. I think we did fantastic. Kathleen, thank you for joining us from Switzerland and giving us your wisdom, sharing a little bit of your journey. I know we didn't get into a lot of things. I'm still so curious about your blessing and how it was being a migrant um, into another country and so many things that you said, you know, we kind of alluded to a part two. And I think everybody would really appreciate having you back on the show to listen to your amazing storytelling because that is yeah, totally. A- power (laughs) (laughs) oh well thank you yes I would love to come back and because I think those pieces 
they do need to be talked about. Not necessarily my story. What I mean, yeah, happy to share my story, but I think there's a big story to tell uh, on the subject of migration and how that was handled in the UC um, and what that means going forward. So yeah, I'll be there. Okay. If anybody wants to give feedback, is there a place to reach you for that? Because I mean, yeah, yeah you can plug in right now. Sure thing. So um, I guess the easiest place to reach me would be on Instagram. You can find me. My own account is Kathleen underscore sublimates. So my name, my, I, it's, my name is the Irish spelling. It's C-A-T-H-L-E-N-E. Um, so Kathleen underscore sublimates. And um, seeing as I'm talking to someone who's been on my podcast, I will go ahead and plug it there too. So I'm I'm still working on getting the courage to release episodes, getting there, but my podcast is called Create Imperfect Anyway, and I talk about creativity and those moments when we're scared shitless and how we can manage to walk through them. And I had the delightful good fortune to talk to Renee about her experience with that. It's a beautiful episode. So I guess that means I better go publish it and get over the fear of, oh, but they're not going to like it. And, oh, but it's not good enough. And um, eh. It's like, dude, that is part of your brand. Go do the thing. Double so, reverse. Did we just double promote each other? <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> yeah, Go check out Kathleen's podcast. I'll be on it and check out my podcast because she's going to be on it again sometime. <laughs> change color like playing uno (laughs) oh my gosh exactly podcast uno (laughs) (laughs) this is awesome okay so yes I'm so excited to hear you starting your podcast when I went on your podcast interview it changed my life because I've never talked to somebody that's a word wizard like you are and it just showed me the power of articulation and storytelling and that's when I started reflecting and being like wow I'm really sloppy on my podcast (laughs) but but you say things that I don't have the courage to say so you see there's your superpower that's your wizardry it's we're just it's like I don't know we're like Harry and Hermione but like there's we don't need to be two Harrys or two Hermione's or two Ron's or two Neville's or who cares like Magic is magic, and that's yours, and that's, that's mine. Yes. And there we are. I, so I think that you give me courage, and I give you words. I love it. <laughs> <sighs> Somebody, I think the, the best um, feedback I got was Teddy Hose called me cutthroat. And I was yeah. like, yes. Accurate. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> you don't know Teddy Hose, go check him out on A&E Extreme Beliefs. But yes, um, so we've plugged in so many things and so many resources here. I think this is a good place to end. Everybody mm-hmm. listening, you have a superpower. I want to get that across. We are all some type of wizard in this weird, strange world. And the Unification Church is a perfect parallel to Hogwarts. So just embrace that superpower. <laughs> Yes. Embrace the superpowers that you've in this weird, wacky world managed to, to, to cultivate and go out and, and just do you. And I think if you don't know what your superpower is, if you've got a fear of something inside of you, that might be a good place to start. Question it. Poke it with a little stick in your head. 
and say, yeah. what, what's this all about? Deconstruct it like you did your faith. And you might just find out some really in- interesting information about yourself. I love it. Thank you for joining us. And I hope you have a wonderful day. And we will see you again soon. And we'll talk more later. So you guys listening, Absolutely. have a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning in to Blessed Child Podcast.